Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, it's a great show. It's all women. Welcome back, Onika McLean. Onika, single mother of two, legal professional, and a sharp comedian. She was a fan favorite on Bravo Television's The Singles Project. She is the winner of the Sloshed Comedy Competition and the Rising Star Competition in London. She runs a monthly show called Cosmic Comedy. Check her out at the Stand Comedy Club. And welcome back, Holly Harper. Holly is a comedy nerd from South Jersey. She's currently the creator and co-exec producer of Hella Late with Holly Harper on Brick TV. And Holly was nominated as Best Actress in 2021's New York City Web Fest. Also check out her nationally trending Twitter storytelling chat, Blurred Dating. Time Out Chicago named her popular sketch comedy show, American Candy, as one of the five groups to watch. Holly works with Gold Comedy and Stand Up Girls, two programs that empower young women by teaching them stand up comedy. And she is the creative consultant for the Black Women in Comedy Laugh Fest. And help me welcome back, it's been way too long, Pat Brown. Pat has been seen on CBS's Late Show with Stephen Colbert, BET's Comic View, her critically acclaimed album, The Pat Brown Sex Tape, has been described as provocative and conceptual by Laugh and is streaming on all platforms. And you can still catch her dope set on HBO's Two Dope Queens. I want to thank all of our listeners of Friends Like Us. Because of you, we make some pretty impressive lists. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe and make sure you turn on the auto-download function on Friends Like Us for Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast. And Twitter is friendslikeustin. Become more than a friend, leave us a tip or donation. Just go to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us. Special shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you. We keep going. Merch is available. We have t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, face masks, and tank tops. They're all available. Just go to marinafranklin.com. Weekly on my YouTube channel, I go live with my assistant Evelyn Frick and my wacky friend Dave Juskow to give updates to the show. We shout out fans who leave reviews and we have surprise guest friends from the podcast stop by and sometimes we offer free stuff like tickets to comedy shows. And with friends like us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe. Wash those dirty little hands. Wear a mask still if you want to. Don't get bullied out of it. Get vaccinated. Booster up. And Black Lives Matter. And welcome to Friends Like Us. Today we have a very amazing episode. Uh, Holly Harper is back. Thank you, Holly, for always I joining us. But Thank you're so, so fantastic. Much. So it always it's always a blessing when you're here. This is something I've been saying. I've been saying this lately. Blessings. It's after Easter. So and welcome back. Long time. Oh my God. I've like, like wondered if we were even still friends anymore. <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller, Pat yeah. Brown. <laughs> yes. But she's been busy, man. She's been doing it up. She, we see you on Instagram. You've been on tour at the Comedy Cellar. You're just, you're busy. You're writing. We miss you. How you doing, Pat? 
I'm good. Thank you, uh, Marina Franklin. So she says all this when she literally lives down the street from me. Oh. She- <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't oh, feel like it. Oh, you so much. Where you been? Bitch, I'm up the street. You know where I'm um, <laughs> you know, with, with, with COVID, it doesn't feel like you're up the street. <laughs> it feels you like know I'm- what? I, I, I feel like... Uh, I'm sorry to get on a tangent here, but uh, you're right. It is COVID. And I think people are getting away from that. I was just uh, somebody alerted me to the fact that they had COVID and I was in their, what is the area? And so that uh, I should get tested. And I was like, yeah, we we have the mindset that it's over, but it's still nice. very much present. Yeah. We, I was going to get into that. That recently in the past week, I know two people who went to a party. They decided to have a party uh, when things were on the rise combined with Easter holiday, Passover, all of it. And yeah, a lot of people at that party are sick from that party, oh, including um, a, someone's wife who is the owner of that club. So I was like, um, <laughs> wow. wow, you know, right. um, I don't know. You're right, Pat. I was talking to my uncle who's been on the podcast. He's a doctor. And he actually did say, I don't tell anyone what to do anymore. I just say, you need to stay safe and be very careful because unsolicited advice doesn't seem to work. So I've mm-hmm. given up telling people what to do, how to behave, you know, except for on this podcast, obviously, because it's mine. But other than that, it's it's like, yeah, it's not over at all. Um, at Onika all. has joined us as well. Welcome, Onika. Hi, thanks for having me. Welcome back. And you also have great glasses. <laughs> Look, we're all glassed up except for you, Holly. I'm going to get my glasses on. This is the over 40 crew. Hey, now, Absolutely. say it again. I feel because... like we should be reading menus at a restaurant right now. Like, we should be. <laughs> that is absolutely when I lost my sight. I was like, literally, I remember the day I was reading. I was like, damn, my sight is gone. <laughs> and I think I was like 42. You know what's so funny? When you... Uh, you somebody read us for the first time, you'd be like, oh, shoot, that's what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're fighting it, huh? Fighting it. Oh, I yeah, wear them all the time. I wear them all the time, too. And I thought I was just nearsighted because I wore glasses all through grade school. And then I got to college, I ditched them. I don't know why I did that, but I did. I ditched them for like 20, 25 years. And so then- you could get some? Yeah, I went when I right, so I could get some. And when I went to get my eye exam, I was like, "Yeah, I'm nearsighted." They're like, "No, you're farsighted too. Like you're just sighted." And I was like, "Wow, you're unsighted, Un- unsighted." I have an article in here that I did not put sent to you guys about these planes and the mask mandates coming and going. And on Delta, they actually announced it mid-flight um, that they could take off their. They said sleepy passengers on a Delta flight between Atlanta and Barcelona, Spain, cheered when a flight attendant announced the news mid-flight. No one's any happier than we are, the attendant says in a video posted by Dylan Thomas, a CBS Denver reporter who was on the flight. The attendant said people who want to keep on their masks were encouraged to do so, but we're ready to give them up. So thank you and happy unmasking day. The White House said the mask order is not in effect at this time and call the court decision disappointing. And the Justice Department declined to comment on whether it would try to block the judge's order. So I'll go with you, Pat. What do you, what do you, you think about that since you started? I just think it's that's the where we are now as a society. And uh, of course, we have a lot of conservative judges who are um, 
I think they are they're leaning toward uh, away from common sense and uh, just ideology. As a society, if we agree to that we are a society, there are certain rules that benefit us all. And I think because we are in a pandemic still, those rules are you're in a small tubular vessel enclosed with filtered air and then and then in during the pandemic and we're not going to wear masks I, I think that's absolutely insane and it's the science behind it so you got judges that are not uh leaning toward the side of the science but i just think it's absolutely insane but that's where we are as a society everybody want their freedom i guess that's the freedom to die the freedom to be poor the freedom to uh just have benefit everybody uh benefit the rich and benefit the corporations that's all it comes down to it feels like people just want the freedom to hurt other people like that's what it feels like to me like they just want the freedom to do whatever they want no matter who it hurts it doesn't matter and i was reading this morning that that judge is a 35 year old judge she's never even tried a case the judge from florida with the mask mandate she's never even tried a case yeah, she's a Trumper judge, like who got in at like 32, 31. And not to like crap on 31 year olds, but like she's 35 now. She's an associate judge. She's she's a just a, a plant there to just push the agenda along. I, I, it's nothing wrong with being 32. It's, it's something wrong with being inexperienced. That's what that comes down to. Yeah. You're very inexperienced. And that's the yes. same thing with uh, Amy Coney Barrett. She's never tried a case. She's never, she that doesn't have the long experience that's needed to be on the highest court in the land. And then we just, in, in less than two weeks, we put her on the court. That's the kind of insanity that we're under right now. And uh, just because she has six kids, uh, she's a, uh, you know, the darling of, of the right, because it has everything to do with the, the look of motherhood. And this is the same problem I have with entertainment that puts young, inexperienced women in front of the camera because they, they look good but they're not experienced comedians. But so people get the idea that women are not funny because they keep on putting up, instead of the standard of being funny, they put the standard of beauty ahead of that. And they don't do that to men. They just put the funniest person on or the, or the bro that is that close to them, but it's still kind of funny. They only do that with women. I feel like they, they did that with hers. Like, uh, let's get this a youngish white woman that has six kids. So she, you know, uh, she's an evangelical. Let's put her on the court. She'll be on the court forever and she can tell her what to do. And she's falling in line. And they really pushed the aspect of her adopting black children. You remember that? They like really pushed that. Oh, really yes. Hard. Haitian, like, right? They're Haitian. I, I'm not sure. I'm I not sure. I get, maybe. But mm -hmm. I just remember them being like, she's black children. She's black children. She's black children. I sat there and watched, you know, her kids and I was, I felt bad. Her, her children, her black kids, they were ashy. Their legs were ashy. I just wanted to put some lotion on them so bad. Like I was sitting there watching it. I wanted some cocoa butter for these kids. But they just pushed that so hard, this image of she's a mom and she's got black children. So she can't be wrong. Those poor kids. But she's not a, a experienced judge. And for somebody to put her on the Supreme Court, it is it is it's shameful. I can't think of an, uh, another no, word, but there's a better word from this. It is neglectful. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. How do you feel about the mask mandate, Onika? I know we, we kind of, we go back and forth with the vaccine and all that, but the mask, I know. I feel, especially indoors, they should still have the mask on. I feel like if we would have just kept them on, then people wouldn't be so inclined to get rid of them. If it, it would be just like anything else, underwear, you just wear them, you just do. But what happens is you give people a choice and then they start feeling that they have a choice. But if you 
if you let them know like what's happening in the hospitals still and how the numbers are up and yes, people aren't dying at the same rate, but they're still dying. Kay Slay just passed away four months battling COVID. Now you hear people say battling cancer. COVID. So like, let's be clear that people are still dying and a lot of people have underlying issues and nobody's thinking about that. But what happened is, and and for me too, like you take the mask off and now you're inside and now you look kind of weird with everybody looking at you like, why, why does she have it on? And then you feel uncomfortable and then everybody wants to be assimilated in society. So they want to feel comfortable and then you take it off and you put yourself in danger. It's neglectful. It's you're neglectful. so right. My friend mm-hmm. who recently got sick felt the pressure. Like you said, she was like, well, I didn't want to be the only one wearing a mask. Everyone was inside without a mask. So I just wanted to be like everyone else. And she's been really good this whole time, you know, like really good about everything. And I just saw it just drop in that in the last past two weeks, which I was like, these aren't the two weeks. I don't know. I always talk to people who are in Ireland and Europe and I listen to what they say is going over there as as well as Singapore, which we see the lockdown happening and they were very strict and they're still getting sick. So I was like, I'm not taking the mask off yet. And, and people tease me about it. I've been I've been, you know, like, why are, are you old? Is that why you have the mask on? I've been told. Wow. That. <laughs> wow. But I think that the, and the important we people always stress the dying part. But there's a lot of people that are living with long COVID. There are a lot of people living with the side effects of having COVID. Uh, I've I've said this story over and over again. I have a friend who's a comedian who lost a hearing in his one ear. And I don't, I mean, vaccination is, how do you weigh that? Weigh that a free vaccination or your hearing in your one ear? I think everybody will go with the free vaccination if that was the, the choice that they have. But People are still, and this is no one brings this up, and I think feel like this is you can have COVID, get over COVID, and still have repercussions from COVID, or you can have long COVID where you haven't gotten over fully some of the issues or symptoms that you have from COVID, like the the uh, shortness of breath and uh, the fatigue and the yes. uh, mind fog that comes with it. COVID. That's why COVID was so pernicious because it gets into your system and it attacks weaknesses in your body and who knows what what weaknesses that you have in your body it's not just old people it's not just fat people it's people that's that was why the uh the disease was so pernicious because it get in your body and then it, it attacks something in your body that you have no idea that is uh uh vulnerable so that is yeah. the reason that's the reason to do a, a free vaccine i know that long COVID is scary i have a friend she's what, 37 38 uh living in atlanta she masked up but nobody else around here was masked and she got COVID in like the first year of COVID. and she has long COVID. she used to run like five miles a day and she gets winded cleaning her house now mm-hmm. and she's like 37 years old and so it made me think about okay all these people that were really young like in their teens and 20s that got COVID. how is the long COVID going to affect them when your body really needs to be its strongest as you go into your 50s do you know what i mean like well one little thing could take you down you know so and there has been um Many cases of college athletes having COVID, and then uh, they that it has affected their heart, and so they can't, they can't play. So you don't want COVID. 
you don't know how it how it will respond in your body. And I think um, a lot of people wanted to get COVID as instead of getting the vaccine. I think that's how people were acting in this past month where they were going. I kept hearing this. Well, you're not going to get as sick and you're not going to die. And it's like, you don't know anything. You don't, you don't know. know that. You don't you know, know what you're talking about. Also, I, you don't know what illnesses are down the line for you. You know what I mean? You don't know what's coming down the pike in 10, 15 and I, years. I had COVID and it wasn't for 10 days like everybody said it was going to be. It was for 21 days. At a certain point, I was like, Jesus, just kill me. It's fine. Like, I just 21? couldn't do it. Twenty-one wow. days. Wow. See, those are the things. Those are the ones that people don't talk about. Twenty-something pounds. I couldn't get out the bed. I gave it to my daughter, ah. which is scarier because now I'm trying to take care of her. And like, she's twenty-something, so like, it, it it was like ten days, and she was okay. But ten more days, I was still laying out, and I was like, forget it. And it was, and you don't want it in your body. I felt dirty. I promise you, I felt dirty because I didn't know what it was and why was it here. And all the stuff that they gave you at the doctor was just vitamin C, some zinc, and kind of just, just weighed it out. And and if you have no, I had no energy, I couldn't do anything. I just kind of just laid there and just at a certain point, you get sick so long, you get a depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was bad. And think about that, 21 days, that's three weeks. Imagine if you get sick for three weeks, you have a job, you have kids that you need to take care of. Even if you re- mm-hmm. recover, God, hopefully you recover, you miss three weeks of work. You missed three, yeah. you had to probably had to get childcare. You had to have people come in. It's, it's so many extra things that you had the hoops that you have to go through to recover from 21 days of being sick, that is is not cost effective. It's the cheapest thing is the vaccine. Most of us, 95% of us already had vaccines in us from, from, from school. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I, I, I keep feel- saying that they need to make that part of their agenda is getting back to work is also about being healthy. That's the only way that you can, they keep talking about the economy, getting the economy back, but they forget that if people are sick, they can't work and they can't go places. I know of a comedy club where the reservations are actually dropping now because people are too sick to go. So wow, where does, where is the, um, Lack of that understanding. I, why isn't that part of the conversation when we're talking about the economy? I, I think about that constantly. And it's like, I don't want to get sick because I actually do want to enjoy my life. I actually do want to go places. I actually do want to work. That's why I'm wearing a mask is because I, I want to keep living. Like Eric Adams, I don't know. He's disappointing um. me on so many levels. I've been very disappointed these past few weeks. He doesn't disappoint me at all. He he is exactly he's exactly who exactly who I thought oh. he would be. He is absolutely when you okay. He he was playing that. Uh, he was talking that uh, pro police BS from the beginning, and I was like, okay, he's going to be on the right side of center, and he's going to do everything in his power to. Uh, and I feel like he is power obsessed. So he's going to do everything in his power to make sure he gets reelected, which means everything that Bloomberg did. But uh, but as a black man doing it. He, yeah, he, well, he, I guess I should say I should change it from I was disappointed into I was actually wrong because it was like, oh. I really, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I really exactly, thought yeah. he was very successful in playing into our fear about crime and what would be the person to 
to be in the office to fix it. And I really thought that we did need someone to who was worked with the police to communicate with the police. But now I'm seeing he's just a politician. He ta- He's taking these pictures with Bloomberg. He said, thank God they did this on Saturday Night Live because I kept saying he didn't catch the guy. The guy who shot everyone right. in the subway, he called in. He said, come get me. <laughs> come get me. And Eric Adams was like, we got him. No, you didn't. <laughs> you had nothing to do with that. They wouldn't have gotten that guy because he had, um, he wasn't any profile. Nobody had profiled him. He wasn't somebody that they would have been looking for. They would have been looking probably for a white male. Or He had a big mask on. He knew exactly what he was doing. I was I, In my mind, I was like, he must have been a vet because the way he kind of did it, like military, I was like, it, was, it had to be some military training. But look at this. Look at the failure of the NYPD, the, 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 which would be the seventh biggest military in the world. That's how much how many people that New York employs. They have so many police officers in these subway stations. The cameras didn't work. All these cops are in the station. Nobody saw him leave. Nobody had any idea uh, ID on him whatsoever. They didn't even know what he looked like. So he had to call in like, "Hey, I'm right here. I'm right past y'all. I, I, let me finish this donut." at Dunkin' Donuts, and then you can come get me, right? This is crazy to me. And then even to the degree that he didn't even admit that, he didn't admit that his failure or the failure of the police department, because why are... Why are the cameras off? Why do we we spent so much money on the NYPD? We're continue to put we put more money in their budget this year, and our fucking cameras are off. They have That's more insanity. money than they did before we said defund the police. We said defund the police. Exactly. They got more money. They got more exactly. money. Exactly. And we're putting it into personnel, but we're not putting it into things that actually could make a difference. The MTA is going up. The fares that we pay are going up every so so often. And MTA, like that, that is a private company coupled with the government. So like there should be some kind of like wrongful death suit for the MTA for those families or some crime victim services or something like that for those families. But I bet you it's not going to happen. It's, and, but this is, I don't, I'm not surprised that the cameras were off because with Jeffrey Epstein, how the the correction officers were asleep and then there was no cameras. That's just what we do. This Somebody said, put this on Twitter. And I think it's absolutely apropos. And it's funny too. They said, if he had jumped the ch- turnstile, Jibuki. They would have caught him. Jabuki said that. Jabuki said yeah, that. Yeah, so they would have Yeah, so they could call, <laughs> call him because that's what we worried about. We worried about this uh, policing the smallest and, and the poor and the homeless instead of actually getting real crime solved. Yeah, the, right. the police in the station make me angry. And it's like, I'm one of those moms. I don't know if you, I'm sure you didn't know you get Onika, if you raised your kids here in New York City, you spend that, that time you spend on a, on a subway with strollers. Like combined, I've figured it out. I've spent seven years on the subway with strollers. Okay. They're now they're out of it. Thank God. But I remember there were times where I would be like my daughter would be five or six and I'll have my son in a stroller going up and down the steps. And one time these two cops watched me from the top of the steps. Didn't help me. I was exhausted, sweating. This young teenager, this kid uh, came by, young brother. He helped me out. We got to the top and then the police were like, we got to frisk you to the kid. They went and frisked the kid. I was furious. 
I was like, you stood there and you watched me struggle. This kid came along and now you're frisky. I'm like, well, they were like, you can go. You can go. You don't have to stand here and watch. So it's like the fact that we have so many police in the subways and they didn't see this guy. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me at all. I normally help women when I see them on the subway. And I never was on the train with a, a stroller because I had my babies by drug dealers and they had cars. No, I'm just looking <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's hilarious (laughs) Uh, somebody wrote on twitter i responded to is like um it's talking about the the guy that shot up the subway and how many um arrests he he had and he said america's soft on crime and i and i responded i said america's not soft on crime america is soft soft on the root causes of crime America's soft on education. America's soft on uh, uh, homelessness. America's soft on poverty. And if we we would put some of that money into those uh, those underlining issues, you we wouldn't have the crime. We just got out of a pandemic, or we're still in a pandemic. Yes, the crime rate is going to go up. I just fed uh, homeless people. Uh, uh, right before Easter and the, the line was off the chain it's be- and we're the, the richest country in the world, but we don't fund agencies or programs that people get fed off. They, Trump administration try to cut welfare. Trump administration try to cut food stamps. Why would you want to cut food? And yeah, then you, we're crying about crime. Is yeah. that what we're doing now? It's, it's just like we're not. We incarcerate more people. The American society incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. And China, and uh, more than Russia, more than uh, the the EU. And we have less less people, a population than they do. Wait, more China than China? Has, more than more China? China? We're number one incarcerating people. Number one, and and China China has way more people than us. They they're five to six times our population. Oh, I didn't even. That's what. what, That's the that's insanity. That's the backwardness of our society because it's all about capitalism. It's all about everything has to make money. We have the prison industrial system, so the prisons make stuff to make money. That is out of prisons. That that is a viable company that prisoners like to make money like that is one of our one of our capitalistic yeah endeavors actually prison yep prison prison and education should not be uh a be for profit those two things should not be we should be trying to get prisoners out so they can they can learn a craft or learn a industry and so they can be, they they can uh add to society they can they add to our tax base same thing with education. The more educational our, uh, uh, educated our populace is, the better those citizens will be. Or actually, the better the criminals they'll be too. But uh, <laughs> but they won't be. They, they won't be. They'll be blue, uh, white collar criminals. <laughs> so they'll get away with it. It's the same thing with medicine. I remember speaking to a friend of mine that's from France, and she said this to me, and it was just so profound. She was like, "America makes." their money off of their people's health and education. America makes their money off using their people. And I was like, damn, it's true. 
healthcare, education. They put you in a home for education. Because think about it, fifty, a dollars $100,000 for education. You have to pay that until well into your 40s and 50s. And then you try to retire. So when do you have the, a period of time where you can really amass wealth? That's why we're always having this hamster on a, on a wheel all the time mentality, because the way it's set up, is set up for us to fail or to be criminals. But that's what that, that we're talking about to the education to a prison pipeline. They actually did a study to find out, like, uh, I think fourth graders, is third graders, third graders? Yes, third graders. And, right. And the percentage of those uh, third graders that would be going to prison if they didn't get educated, they didn't graduate. Boys. boys though. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, I, I'm sure there was about boys too, but they're doing it for everybody because uh, the leading uh, incarcerated person now is black women. They're going into prison at a higher rate now than uh, even wow, boys. really? <laughs> yeah. Now I have, I, I just want to uh, throw this quote in there and then I'm going to step out. I love this conversation. You, I don't have to talk, which I love, but I do think that this article with Viola Davis speaks to everything we're talking about because there, I don't know if you got a chance to read it. It's really a good read because she's, you know, she's playing Michelle Obama right now on Showtime and I recommend watching. But she said this about growing up poor. No one cares about the conditions in which the unwanted live. You're invisible, a blame factor that allows the more advantaged to be let off the hook from your misery. Oof. Absolutely. That's what I said. I said they we do a poor job. We're soft on all the underlying causes of poverty, which uh, underlying problems of crime which is poverty, which is a lack of education, which is a lack of health care, all those things. Uh, you know, you one car accident can make you poor for the rest of your life, you know, because we don't have a health care system that actually benefits those people that are uh, underemployed or underinsured. So it's so many to make it to a, as a, 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 a black person, uh, maybe uh, just middle class or a little bit under middle class and you get into your 40s or your 50s. And you haven't had a major catastrophe that could land you into, you know, real um, financial uh, uh, problems is a miracle. It's absolute miracle. It is. That's what brings me back to Eric. One thing Eric Adams said that really infuriated me after the shooting. He was saying, what happened to Black Lives Matter? Where are they? Like, shouldn't they they care when, when Black people are shot? And I just kind of felt like, you know... People ran with this and they were like, yeah, black on black crime. And I'm always just like, there is no such thing as black on black crime. There is crime. Okay. Like if you get, if you're murdered, you're most likely murdered by somebody that looks like you. Okay. Black. And it's a way, I feel like it's a way with the, like tying it to the Viola Davis, the whole term of black on black crime and black people, they don't care. They only care if they're shot by white people. It's a way to not care about us. It's a way to make the crime and our murders and our deaths our problem. Like you guys bring this on yourselves. And so we don't have to care because it's a black thing. And so when Eric Adams fed into that, it really infuriated me. But that's what he does. And that's like, like I said, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not, I was never surprised by his, uh, what he what he's doing now but that's also and i agree with you about that that is a a a distraction because most people get shot or killed or have crime done upon them in their own neighborhood so it's white on white crime it's black on black crime it's like asian on asian crime we don't talk about that when it was a white mass shooter this person wasn't looking for it wasn't racialized this these killings the the shooting he shot anybody that was on a train it wasn't a black train it was a, a it was a train 
whoever was on the train uh, might have gotten the shot. So he racialized a, a, a crime that also that is predominantly white. White men do most of the mass shootings. And we don't ever say that, that it was like, where's white lives? All, all, all lives matter when it comes to a, a, a mass shooter shooting up a school. We're, we're, we don't say that. So I feel like that is a distraction. It's also, you know, it's uh, minimizing a, a cause. Black Lives Matter came about because we weren't getting uh, exposure to justice like white people do because, you know, it's leaving, a, it's no empathy when it comes to uh, our murders or, and, 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 and trying to solve those murders. The co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Greater New York Hawk, Newsom told political Adams failed to take accountability for not being able to prevent crime in the city through the increase of police. He also said Black Lives Matter critics often use black on black crime as the main issue instead of police brutality. Okay, Onika, go ahead. No, I just agree. There's nothing to add to that. You, right. I just agree. <laughs> <laughs> we know exactly what it is always been it. It's always going to be it because what happens is as long as it's a situation where we're dying, we're disenfranchised, we are the target and everybody else can be willfully blind. That's what's going to continue. Period. That's just what's going to continue to happen. No, no matter who we have in the top spot in government, the status quo is such that let us ignore it until we can't. And then when we have to deal with it, let's blame it on some societal issue that is obscure enough that nothing can happen. Because all you have to do is say, okay, so why are these people poor? So what do we need to do? So let's look at let's look at the numbers. All you have to do, men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. Let's look at the numbers. Let's look, see which schools are doing well. Let's emulate that school system. Let's bring it here to a point where the kids are five and four and where their brains are all, you know, ready to soak up everything. And let's teach them at that level. But that will never happen because then you can't have privilege, white privilege. You can't have it because then everybody will know that you just hired your dumb uncle and that's why he's my boss. Yeah, I was saying to someone the other day or yesterday, actually, as I was looking at We Crashed on um, Apple TV and how that guy like was full of shit the whole time. <laughs> and when he went public, his company went public, you could see all of the lying and all of the, it was amazing to me how many people believed him because he was a white man, you know? And then I thought to myself, I was, I was on, I do weekly training now with my uncle. He decided to help me learn how to invest in stocks and, you know, just a little bit of information coming you know, we're go we're heading into a very difficult time for the next like 36 months. Seriously, we have a war, we have a recession, we have inflation. People who are owning homes are going to go through a difficult time again. It's going to be much more difficult. Crime is going to escalate. It's tough. Right. And so you look at all of this and you look at retirement like we're both in that age where we're all heading towards retirement. It's coming for us, right? And he told me last night that all of the retirement like companies in New York and, and California, they are majorly corrupt. Like they took so much money and lost so much money, lost like more than you would ever. You look at the stocks, you don't want to, you don't want to choose anything that's lost more than 4%. Well, retirement is in like the 20% loss. We are the ones who pay for that loss. And no one is looking. So when Viola Davis says 
No one sees it. We're not, we, we find out afterwards, we fix the problem, but we see all these stories about, I don't know, getting back to the economy, but we don't see the truth of what's really going on here. People don't know the facts. And so when I say it's all set up against us, our retirement is set up against us. Um, investment is set up against us. How difficult is it going to be for the next two years for someone talking about equity for a black family to own a home, their legacy? Just think about um, cryptocurrency. How long ago did we uh, hear about cryptocurrency? It's been for 10 years. When we hear about it, it's on the downcline and people are going to get, they'll just get the money from us investing. It's always set up just so we can be the fall guy, the fall guy. I looked at a, um, an advertisement recently and it's a, um, a Moscato called Baron Tenora. Do you guys know that one? Yeah, so, so it's just a Moscato wine and a, a lot of black people uh, drink, black women, right? And I, the advertisement said, it's the high, highest selling Moscato in America. And I was like, right. Because if we like it, it's going to be through the roof. Yeah, but I, on a on a on a bigger scale than that, we're becoming a country that uh, a bunch of billionaires own. We're an oligarchy, and with that comes corruption. So major corruption on every level. So you you have it in the industry you just talked about in retirement. You have it where uh, you have it in government where govern there's governments. I think it's in either in Alabama or Pennsylvania. I don't remember where they invested their pensions into uh, a some company and they, they lost their pensions. These are people oh. over 50, 60 oh. years worth of pensions by, you know, uh, 50, 60 years, you know, putting into your pension or 40 years put into your pension and you lose it all just oh. because because the there's no accountability, there's no transparency in your government. And your government is doing that right now. You do, your state government is doing that, especially in these red states, even in New York. I, I, I would say that our government is not as transparent as it it's should be. It's a crime. Be. It's a crime. It's, that's what I'm saying. It's becoming more and more corrupt. And so if you can't, if there's no agencies, just like the police uh, system, there's no agencies to check have there there's no balance no no check no checks or balances on these agencies then you're going to have corruption and you're going they're always going to prey on uh people of color and people that are poor and which are uh sometimes the same people um, what these rich people need to Chris Rock had said this years ago, um, and I don't really like to quote him often, but I will say this he did say like when because you could get slapped. <laughs> but when New Orleans happened, he said to the audience, you want to help them because this is in your best interest at some point. Because when people are poor, like they're talking about taxing the rich now, and we're talking about like the election that's coming and Republicans are forecasted to win. So oh, a lot of gosh. these bills aren't going to be passed. But what's going to happen, I guarantee you, is crime's going to get worse and it's going to land on their lawn. No matter what, it's going to be in their best interest eventually. To they, the rich can't keep getting richer without some repercussions. It's it's happening in California where see you see these youth going into like rich areas where the rich white people are going. This never happens here. Well, 
I think the Democrats need to change their platform and really start talking in those points because if they don't get it together, we're in Ukraine is looking kind of, you know, no, we're, we're going to be Russia where it's going to be, uh, Many, many, many very rich, ultra rich people, billionaires are close to it. And they are they're they're flying thousand feet above everybody else. And but it hit us, too. It hit us first in in terms of crime, because people get desperate. And if they don't people don't have their basic needs met, there's going to be desperation. Desperation leads to crime. Desperation leads to corruption. But I agree with you, Marina. It's, It's only a matter of time before these little smash and grabs, those kind of things become, uh, uh, becomes a regular occurrence. And also the uh, corruption, corruption, just like I think we've seen all these documentaries where people are pretending that there's some things, but there's no, there's no uh, checks and balance to fi- figure out if they really that thing. And then they, they fraud uh, millions and millions of people. So I feel like that's where we headed because they don't, the Republicans didn't even want to, they didn't even want to fund the tax agency to get get more agents so they could so those tax agent agents can check more people for fraud in taxes. So they don't want they don't even want the rich taxes to be audited. We don't have enough auditors and they don't yeah. want to even fund the government to get that's our tax money. That's tax money that can go to education, tax money that goes to roads and buildings. But they didn't even want to fund that. That is crazy talk. You're funding police officers, but you're not going to fund a tax system that we're based on a tax system and you're not funding, funding auditors so we can uh, get these tax cheats. That's crazy town. What happened to the lottery supposed to be paying for education? What, what happened to that? Like when we implemented the lottery system, the lottery system was supposed to be implemented and the proceeds from it when people did not hit was supposed to go to supplement the educational system. That was oh, I never knew that. Failed. That was the sell of the lottery because, you know, we are a Christian society and that was gambling. So the lottery was supposed to, you know, do some good while they was doing some bad. And that's not happening. So what happened to that? I never even knew that was the case. They, I never that's even how knew they that sold it. The in, in many states, that's how they sold it. I don't know necessarily in New York, but they definitely sold it to us in uh, Missouri that way to get the lottery in Missouri and in Georgia. When you look at these Republicans and always talking about deregulation, deregulation, it's just a way to rob people. It's just a way to like, you know, nobody sees what they're doing. I mean, they don't, you know, unless you're a woman, then then they want to regulate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Well, or last night I was on, <clears throat> and Pat, you should do this too. You know, our representative for Harlem is Kristen, Kristen for Harlem. So I, I like talk to her. I had a Zoom meeting with her because I've become more involved in what's going on in Harlem because, you know, I hate the restaurant underneath me. Um, But she we were I was on the Zoom with them for a short while yesterday and they were talking about the till program in New York City in Harlem. And it is supposed to be that uh, some of the renting rent uh, renters or buildings that are rent eventually were designed so that you could eventually own. That's what till is. Um, I hope I'm saying it right, by the way. And through the investigation with Kristen, none of it has paid out, just like the lottery. So a lot of these people, um, the corruption is there. A lot of them get kicked out of their homes. The gent- That's where the gentrification is really happening in Harlem, is that and I guess there's, I, I'm, I really don't know sometimes what I'm talking about, but I try, right? The API, is that what it, 
is it AMI or a AMI? I don't know. The average, whatever income for owning, is it AMI or API? The average medium income, AMI. Oh, yes, yes, AMI. Is they're using it suspiciously now to, to also um, price people out. So the average income in Harlem currently is not able to afford to live in Harlem anymore. And this right. is what she's doing through Zoom. She's talking to the community. She's alerting people to this, that this what is what's going on. Meet with her. Meet, meet with your senators. Meet with your representatives. She's brainstorming with people in the community. So this is the thing I always say. Like I saw a sign downstairs where someone was like, someone stealing my packages who the you know and they were just cursing i'm like that's not gonna i'm sorry but you're not doing anything that's going to help you move forward how about you write a different sign that says how about we help each other out as neighbors let's get together let's meet let's brainstorm let's figure out how we can make sure these packages aren't stolen how about we carry the packages to everyone's door that type of conversation is on us to really be a part of and to get involved that's that's really go ahead. Well, I'm saying that's what happened in my building. <laughs> that's exactly what happened in my building. All this package theft, it was insane. And then we created like it's ridiculous. We have like a Taffy Lofts page on Facebook where people they are so active on it and they go to it. They're like, I have a package for you. I have a package for you. And it's like the, the whole our whole block is has the same owners, like these four buildings. So it's like people, I mean, it gets ridiculous. You'd be like, whose cat is wandering in the hall? It's a tabby. But like they they go in real hard about the packages because you would see those signs for like four or five years about someone took my effing package and blah, blah, blah. And then we just we just do a little system now. So you yeah. have to. That's so the what's, only your, what's way. your system? Uh, the system is, is that every day there's about four or five people from each building that go downstairs when the packages are delivered and they'll like take photos of the packages and put them up on a page. So it's like your stuff is here, your stuff is here, your stuff. And we just tag each other. Like this is your package. And then oh. I have it in my apartment. I have it. I have your package. Like I have someone's package in my hallway right now. And people have had my packages. So it's really kind of nice. That little, see, it's stuff like that that gets stuff done. You don't have That's to feel really. helpless. Go ahead, Anika. You were going to say something. when and then I, I just said community. I was just adding to community. But, but oftentimes, we just don't know about the programs that we have in New York. It's so many programs. And what happens is we leave so much money on the table because what they do is they don't tell you about them. And I'm, they, meaning the government, like how I bought my house, through a bunch of programs that I, that I coupled together. And people think I got money. No, not at all. I just live in New York and I saw what the different uh, uh, Michelamas were, the, all the different things that we had for, as it relates to housing. And I just used them and coupled them together so that I can. And I did the same thing with schooling with my kids because say I grew up in East New York. When I had them, I lived in a project in East New York, but I refused for them to go. Sorry. Somebody's packing. <laughs> I refuse to allow them to just be um, left by the wayside because when I was raising my kids, it was like no child left behind. But they was all getting left behind, right? Mm -hmm. And shit, I could have been left behind because they was just pushing me through because a lot of stuff in my formative years, I don't have that information because it was so bad in East New York. We didn't really learn. What we did was just fight. So I didn't want my kids to go to the same 
through the same situation that I did, but I had to go to the um, go to the uh, town hall meetings and speak and do all this stuff so they can be tested for gifted and talented programs. I had to take my oldest daughter to school on 97th Street and Lexington Avenue from East New York, Brooklyn, every morning. Wow. Every morning, so that they can get a better education. It's mm-hmm. there. It's, they put it on the poor to uh, have a harder time to get access to the to the systems. Oh, absolutely. It absolutely yeah. is. Yeah, we get up at 5.30 every morning to take my son to his school in Harlem on 145th Street. Yeah. We've been getting up at 5.30 since 2017. What time does school, so, school start? It starts at 7.30. 7.30. So we get up at five thirty. We leave at six thirty. We're there at seven thirty, mm-hmm. and he just takes. He just goes to lunch, goes to breakfast, and then you go to work, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, depending on who takes him, we just you know switch on and off. But my son's on the autism spectrum, and so when we were trying to get him into the Nest program for kids on the spectrum here in Brooklyn, we they were like, oh, um, we can't. We don't have a spot for him. But here mm-hmm. we can just be in this special ed class down the block. That's what you're zoned for. And we were like, no, that's what? not good enough. Yeah. We were like, no, absolutely yeah. no. So this charter school, this charter school was formed in like 2016. The charter school is formed specifically to to um, help black and brown children on the autism spectrum. Like they went through churches and barbershops and schools and everything to find black and brown kids on the autism spectrum because black and brown kids in the autism spectrum are diagnosed around eight or nine, whereas white kids at two and three. And so black kids were falling really far behind and just becoming what they call a behavioral problem. So this charter school was like a godsend to us. But I mean, I was on it. Like I was, I was, I mean, I wasn't bribing them, but I was like, I have cookies and pie and just, I mean, I won the lottery and we got in, but yeah, they, the system makes it so hard for you to get your kids even just level, you know what I mean? Level of what they should be getting. I didn't even realize that when you were saying that you, until you said you, you're bringing your kids to Harlem from Brooklyn. Yeah. I, I, I was like, wow. I, I just thought you yeah. were in another section of uh, Manhattan, but you bringing your kids from Brooklyn to Harlem every day. That's, mm-hmm. I that's a lot. I did, it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did the same thing and my kids yeah. are in their 20s. So this is just, systematically set up like that for generations. This mm-hmm. is exactly how they want to make like like our kids are damn near 15 years apart. Why are you still dealing with the same stuff? Yeah. I and know. it makes no sense because uh it just it just make because everybody is is not going to be able to have the resources to do it. Not that they don't want their children to have a better education. But then maybe their job doesn't have the flexibility where they can they, they can be able to take their their children an hour away for school. That's just that's and that's how crazy this is. Uh, kids, and I'll say it again: education should be one of those things. So it should be for profit. We 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 benefit from it when kids or we have a a, a, a educated. Um, citizenry when our kids are more educated things come about that are benefits the whole world our whole society it's just it's just amazing to me how greedy and um narrow-minded uh parochial people think about it because we are the face of poverty black people are the face of poverty so we'll we'll shit on be people being poor and if you're white and poor, that's fine. I'm sorry, you just you just fall into that. Won't fight for it because black people are the face of poverty. So no, we don't want black people to have anything. 
So uh, we definitely are, are, are going to uh, kill that bill or kill that program as long as black people don't have it. And, and, and I just felt I just find that utterly. No, we're just still going through it. I just it's amazing to me. Zoning school zoning is nothing but redlining. What they do with school zoning, they put people in jail if you try to change your address so that you can get your kid better education. And that's in New York City. School zoning, they're like, you have to go to your zone school. But if my zone is in East New York and you know damn well you don't have the books, you don't have the teachers, you don't have the know-how, you you know how people learn now. Children Mm -hmm. learn. And we know how we've studied the brain enough to know how people learn. Right. Mm -hmm. And everybody just learns the same way. But in progressive schools, they teach them differently because my kids went to progressive schools and and Imani at first she started off in East New York. So I saw the difference. I was like, wait, she was calling a teacher by the first name. They didn't have desks. They were sitting on the floor. Everything was free. Let them learn in this kind of environment where they were like little scientists. And they never did that in East New York. Everything was very much treating them, the kids like criminals. Everything was about behavior. Everything was about punishment. Everything was about all those things. And zoning is the real reason because what they do is they got to make sure that your black ass kid is not next to their they're white kids. My niece is um, four and she's back in school. And I'm so concerned because of the socialization. I didn't realize how much the pandemic affected even a four year old. Oh, oh, yeah. And she's back in uh, school <laughs> slapping people. She's just slapping people. And um, I told my sister, I said, wait, what? She said she just slapped. They had her sectioned off. Cause every kid that walked by, she just was hitting them. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I know. I like, for me, it was kind of like, it was like kind of funny. Cause I was like, wait, why is she hitting people? And I know her hits are really hard. And, uh, but I just realized I was like, is this a good school? Like, why are they sectioning her off from the other kids? Like what is really going on here? And I was like, if nothing else this time, it's really important to have a good school system because these kids are not used to sharing. They've been on their own for two years, these kids. So their interaction in school is even more important. This is such an important time. is important. Yeah. Oh, your sister to make sure that she looks at the child's universal data report before she goes into kindergarten and first grade. Because oftentimes what they do is if the child has any kind of behavioral issue, they will write it and and send it on. Right. So now that kid. Yes. And somebody told me that a long time ago. So I so I asked for it. And do you know that the teacher changed it? Because if you don't know about it, they'll just put your kid on this third tier of growing up. Yeah, really? Yes. I yes. Will. Yeah. Thank yes. you. Yeah, you know, we are always looking about behavioral problems. Now you got a chance to have a conversation about it and it's not mandatory that they do it, but they do it so that they can keep us socialized in whatever peg that they want us. And when I say it's mind blowing, it is freaking mind blowing. It is. <laughs> It is. I mean, what you have to, because like my son has an IEP, like anybody, you know, intellectual education plan, um, you know, he's on the spectrum. And so he was having a problem at school with another kid and it was about to go on his thing about, 
his IEP about needing more social skills. Like he, he does need social skills because I mean, kids on the spectrum, they have to have classes over social skills. But he had, an, he had an incident where another kid had been like doing that little whisper thing, like saying stuff to him, snide stuff to him when a teacher wasn't watching. And then my son was taking it and taking it and finally snapped out at the kid. And the teacher was told him and myself and told me, well, the, what, he, what so-and-so said to him wasn't a big deal. I mean, what your son, you know, he responded in a much... Uh, and it was overkill. And I said, she, she said, he made an assumption about what the kid was saying. And I said, uh, we had a whole meeting and I was like, no, you made an assumption. And then you gaslit my kid into thinking that what was happening was not happening. You were not seeing what's happening in the classroom and you pass it off on my kid. And now you're trying to put it on his IEP and that's not going to happen. You know what, and Holly, though, like, the thing I'm hearing is you have the patience not every parent has the energy to do what you just did. Like, that's what I think, you know, when I think of them all. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, but it's like my sister, I can see the fatigue in her. So I can see like, okay, how do I gradually help in this situation? You know, I want to be, you know, sensitive to I'm not the mother, you know what I mean? On a, on a mass scale, I, there's fatigue going on with these parents to have to come in and deal with the school on this level. And then I also, just to bring in this article, because I think it's a good place to bring it in about what's happening in Florida, right? Um, the groomer law may soon blow up in DeSantis's face. One of the most concerning elements of the Florida don't say gay law restricting classroom discussion of sex and gender is its vagueness. This might be a feature, not a bug. It could, by design, encourage conservative parents to investigate every classroom curriculum every school staff member contributing to the atmosphere of moral panic. It appears the law intended to stoke. But in an example of how the worst intention legislation can backfire on bad actors, the law's vagueness might end up handing opponents a hidden weapon against it. Lawyers challenging it now say they think liberal parents might use the same tool to wage guerrilla legal resistance designed to expose its true intentions, making it more legally vulnerable. The tension here is that law does not directly ban discussion of particular sexual orientations or gender identities. Don't say gay says don't say straight too. I, 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 wrote, I, listened, I uh, read an article about um, what a, a school system was spreading around to other teachers and it was uh in 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 response to this law and what it this 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 note or they were sending out they wanted to send it off to parents and he said in 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 the in the letter of the law since this, this talks about we shouldn't uh identify kids by gender so they were saying i'm not gonna say boy or girl i'm not gonna say mr or mrs or miss i'm, I'm they're gonna call me something my last name and it was just like a um i think that a title now that there's a non-gender genderized title i forget what the it was uh for the teacher so there's no boy and girl lines tall lines shorter lines or something like that so it's no so they, they're going to go even further they sending these notes out to to parents because they know parents are going to be disturbed by that so if we can't say gay we cannot say boy and i'm not going to call your son a boy I'm not going to call you. I'm not calling. I'm not going to call you a mother because that's genderized. I'm just. I'm saying that you are a person that had a child. So 
that's how they're pushing against it. And I was like, that actually is, um, that's the way to do it. Because, okay, you don't want it to say gay, so let's not say nothing. Let's not say nothing. Nothing is genderized. No no man, no boy, no girl, no woman, no parent. I mean, no, not not parent, but no uh, uh, mother, no wife, no husband. Those mm-hmm. things, those terms do not exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I felt like that was a, a good way to push back. It's smart. So, but what about like the bathrooms nope, can't and do that it. kind of can't stuff? Can't do it. You can't what say happened? it. And so those are the things that parents are going to be upset about. So uh, we'll... Who wants to go to uh, the bathroom? Who needs to go to ground? It's okay. Well, uh, the A group goes first and the B group goes second. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's, I it's, love it. And it's also in reading books. They say here, like, you can't read. Um, if a teacher can't assign a story about a young girl who comes home after school to her two mommies, then the teacher also can't assign a book about a young girl who comes home to her daddy. mommy right. and daddy. It's only fair. And that's the law. If you're going to go on gender, the whole world is Yeah, gender, so the so whole world would be ungendered. The whole world yeah, would be ungendered that's going to do that. Because the, the, law, the, the law is vague for a reason. The law is vague. It's unconstitutional to say that you can't say gay. That's why the law is vague like that. So they're going to push against it by being the most extreme case of the law. And of course, they're, they're going to have to kill it. Yeah. Why move to Florida? I keep wondering. I went to Sarasota for my know. birthday. I don't know. Every time I hear about Florida, it's like, who got shot, Florida? I went to Sarasota, Florida for my birthday in January, and I was there, and I was like, oh, it was so nice. It was so beautiful. It's like Sarasota is just like a lot of white retired people, but it's a walking community. It was really big, and it was close to the ocean. Uh, it's kind of close to Tampa Bay, uh, and I was like, I could live here. And I was like, don't say that <laughs> because it's Florida, but I'm like, Wow. The people move there because it's the sunshine. I need. That's why I went to Florida because it was only it was a three hour flight. It was uh, relatively short from New York. Sunshine, close to the beach. That's what you get in Florida. That's how you know you're ready to retire when Florida looks attractive. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to chill. I don't want no kids running and screaming and hollering. I just want my cocktail. And some sunlight. Like that's how you know. (laughs) Well, I was in Long Island this week. This past week, I did this for myself, uh, a couple of reasons. One, to write, because I have to write my pilot. So I have to sit and focus. So I went and decided to treat myself. Um, All you ladies should know this. DC Benny should contact you all, actually. He has a great gig out there in Long Island in a bungalow attached to his wife's business, which is called Rika, R-I-C-A, which is a Black-owned business. I mean, let me tell you something. It was amazing. I have never thought about going to Long Island ever in my life. I've never liked Long Island. I've only heard like the political stuff that comes out of Long Island. But if you go a little further past, there are some areas where you can find a little bit more of progressiveness and some, you know, like the Hamptons, the South, South Hamptons and South Hold is where I was in Greenport. I'm definitely on that path of retirement. I sat there and I said, I don't need anything but this. This is beautiful. I mean, of course, there's a flood coming. And yeah, and I saw a lot of murder happening in the waters that were very peaceful. But I, you know, like the birds were killing, hawks were killing fish and ducks were fighting and frogs were screaming. But other than that, (laughs) because every time I looked at the ocean, I said, this is beautiful. 
but there is a lot of murder happening in this. this these animals People are going call at it. Nature. It. Um, but yeah, it was. <laughs> I know it was wild, Pat. Wild it was wild. Life, yes. When I saw yes, it happening, wildlife the, is nature. The pond. I mean, <laughs> it was crazy. I'm there. I don't need the city anymore. It's just too much. But I did realize I am amongst. There are very rich people around me who are those rich people who don't like, you know, having to see the poverty. They've turned a blind eye to poverty. There are definitely some Trumpers probably in there. It's a it's a complicated um, strategy. I, I love New York. I love New York because I love uh, as an introvert. I love being around people uh, amongst people and not necessarily have to interact with everybody. I love that. But I, the, the cold weather is just really works against me. And, and then uh, I feel like with global warming, I feel like we're going to get in a lot of uh, months where we're not going to see spring. We're going to see some long gated winters and then summer, then long gated uh, falls and winter. I don't know. I just, it's just, it's hard for me now. Just, I want to wake up every, and that's the thing that I loved about uh, going to Sarasota. Every morning I woke up, it was sunny and I felt like I'll go outside like in, in a heartbeat and I just walk. That was one of my morning walks. And I feel like I, I walk every morning here, but it's just different because it's cold, you know, it's gloomy. I'm just one of those people. I told my mother, I said, I don't care where, I think you kidnapped me from my my southern roots because I, I don't know I'm not supposed to be in Missouri. <laughs> I used to tell her that when I was little. Yeah, I think you're onto something with that weather though because you know going to Harlem and it'll be like you know in the fall when we leave in the morning it'll be pitch black. It'll be me and my son. It's like pitch black and it's cold and then all it's just us and then the rats. Yeah. We just see rats mm-hmm. that they're the last ones scurrying and sometimes I'm just yeah. like this is not cool. Like this is not. I saw a guy who couldn't understand why his car would not start. He had, then I walked, I saw him, I go into the Rite Aid, he's struggling. I come out, this young lady says to him, oh, there it is. It's a rat. It's in your engine. <laughs> She's like, look, look, there it is. There it is. I'm at a place now, like I do love Harlem. I am fully invested in in being a part of Harlem and making sure it stays black. I, I, I This is my my mission statement, actually, yeah. right now. I, I will fight everything. Listen, let me tell you, these um, drug rehab centers, there are more people going to this uh, rehab centers in Harlem that are actually in Harlem. They're coming from all over the place and they just put them in Harlem. So mm. now I've become a part of this association that is fighting that because I think our job in society and I think um, in this article, Viola Davis speaks to it, is about shining a light on this stuff. You've got to make people aware that this is what's going on because there's so much ignorance so that's, in the world. Go ahead, Anita. Oh, so that's a, a thing that uh, I, I some I overheard somebody talking about that. That the point is they put all those the drug rehab spots in Harlem because the the drug people they they'll hang out with each other and and so they'll congregate in Harlem. But there's no other drug rehab place in other areas, so they're not spreading the drug addicts mm. out 
and you know, I have no problem with people, you know, but but the 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 problem is they're concentrating it just in Harlem. So it taxes this these neighborhoods that have the uh, drug rehab. Why not spread it out? There's drug re mm-hmm. there's drug users all across this this state, all across this city. Why wouldn't you spread it out? Mm-hmm. And you know why? Because you don't want those drug the, the drug addicts to be in your neighborhood. So they they're conveniently put them in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And that you're right, Marina. That's something that we should shed a light on. And of course, your mayor ain't gonna do shit about that. And then we'll have that article that I have about Mayor Adams wanting to do uh, marijuana on the on the rooftops, but he's not fixing NYCHA. He's ready to go erect cannabis greenhouses on top of New York City's public housing buildings and he's run into obstacles. While I agree with the attempt, I'm not, it's just so fucking, sorry, it's so fucking backwards. You're not problem. dealing with right. the You're problem. trying to make a profit off something that there's a there's endemic problems within the structure of the uh, NYCH. Is that what it is? That's the, the acronym. Right, yeah, NYCH. NYCH yeah. But you, don't, you, only want to deal, you only want to deal with the making money part. Yeah. A lot of those NYCHA buildings have been sold to yeah. private investors. Especially the ones that are closest to uh, the, um, the the colleges, the universities. There's a, those good property of... The closer, the ones that are closest mm-hmm. to the nicer areas, the ones that's closest to the Barclay, the one that's closest to the Bridges, uh, City College. Uh, also, Columbia. just circling back to the drug rehab centers. They're in Brooklyn, um, but they're in specific tar- parts of Brooklyn. They're in Bedford-Stuyvesant. They're in East New York. And why? It's because oftentimes a lot of home ownership happens with Black people in those areas. So if you keep the undesirables in those areas, you keep the um, property value low. And then eventually when it's time for you to sell your property and so it can be gentrified, that there, there's an obstacle for you to sell. It's all set up. It's all, it's all set up. But the thing about it, keeping Harlem black means you have to buy in the area, right? You can't yeah. rent in the area, but there's they so make many it so programs. hard. No, but there's so many programs. The thing about it is it's not hard it just takes a while okay i'm gonna have to stick with you on that how would somebody begin that Uh process going to right so but what about that till program that i mentioned about how these people there are people who are living here who were expecting to own and it's not happening because the program is not living to its its word it's not living up to its word but that's only one program new york partnership has a has a program um um HPD, right? Housing Preservation Development has a program. You can go on their website. They have a list of home buyers and the application is free. You can fill out as many applications as you want to. And you can, they they also have this program called the American Dream. And the American Dream is still a viable program. And what it will do is it will help you with your down payment assistance. When I'm telling you all these things, I did them myself. So I know they work. And a couple of my friends have done them. My friend, um, Ada, she bought a, a condo in Best-Eye, $100,000, a nice-ass building, and she coupled the programs. You can do it. It's not, everything is hard. It just takes steps. It's not, that's the thing. Like, and when I hear people say, oh, it's too much, or people talk us down, that's what they do. They talk us down because they figure if it's three steps, that's just three too many steps, and then we don't do it. And it's really unfortunate because the, Really, home ownership at a certain point is the only real way to wealth. 
right? Because it's something that you invest in and then it grows exponentially to a, to a place where you can leave something behind. How did the immigrants on African immigrants on 116th Street, like I love the fact that they own everything on this block. It is not there a couple of white businesses that try to sneak in, but you can see there's not, it's not happening. They own this whole Susus. side. Susus. Susus. So a susu is like a, a community kind of banking situation oh, yes. where you buy a house, we all lend you the money. And then once, and then we all lend you the money. And susu is something that you can give to the bank as a, 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 a source of income. We actually had Hodo on the podcast and she, Hodo Hersey, she's in Toronto. She's a comedian. And she talked about exactly what you just mentioned about how in her community, they do like they put money into the pot for their children, for college, for ownership. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense because it's like you see the struggling little white businesses trying to and it's like they ain't having it. They're like, nope, we got this that, block. That's how the Jewish community uh uh, acquire stuff all the time. I have a couple of um, uh, Hasidic Jewish uh, girlfriends. And when I say even down to education, they susu the education. So they're not paying interest. No, 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 no. They'll susu it. They'll pay that. If they're going to pay interest, they'll pay it to the community. They're not going to pay it to the banks. My uncle, that's why he decided to teach me every week. He said, you know what? I need to take a step in this generational wealth and really week to week educates you about how to securely make money during a very difficult time. Go ahead, Anika. You want a podcast to listen to? Yes. For investing? It's called Earn Your Leisure. Oh, I listen to that. Yes. Yes. It's a great one. Earn Your Leisure is great. And The Mortgage Guy. I like The Mortgage mm-hmm. Guy. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. And also, uh, uh, the, the, the investment apps uh, teach you a lot. So Stash is a really good investment Actually, app. that is the one I'm, he told me not to. I don't want to, you know, okay. I'm, sure they're, gr- I'm sure they're great, but that's the one I... That's the one that I use, Stash. Yeah, I'm, he's, he's, he told me to just stay right now because everything is fluctuating. So it, it's so, um, what do they call it? Turbulent, vol- volatile, right? To just stay with safe bets. Um, and some of the programs, you got to really be careful of what you join, but I'm sure Stash is great. Well, Stash is great be- for me because it has BlackRock. It has the ones that give div- dividends also. Okay. So so Stash is, I mean, it's like any other app is you put your money into the ones that make most sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, we will go on to Gilbert Godfrey passed this past this week. I, you know, I really loved watching Gilbert Godfrey as a comedian. I don't know if you guys liked him or, or or what, but for me, it was pretty sad. I mean, I watched him for years getting older. I saw it was very difficult to get on stage, but yet he would still get on stage. You know, he had his problems. Obviously, there were some things that people, you know, with Aflac and the tsunami and all that, but um, he really didn't back down from his character. And I have to say, when I watched him on stage, He's taught me how to tell a joke in so many ways. I would watch the beginning, the middle, and the end of those jokes. And the storytelling of it, I don't see it anymore. And he had such a character with it. I learned a lot from watching him. I was sad to see you know, him go. 
and his wife was a pretty good friend, you know, and uh, the kids that he left behind. I know it's just sad, you know, and he was pretty young for 67. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried, the comedian who gave voice to the parrot in the hit Disney animated feature Aladdin and the duck in commercials for Aflac Insurance and whose manic, loud mouth and highly original stand up routines mixed old fashioned borch belt shtick with cringe worthy vulgarity died on Tuesday in Manhattan at the age of 67. His friend and publicist Glenn Schwartz said in a statement that the cause was muscular dystrophy. Mr. Goffrey began doing stand-up around New York as a teenager and soon developed a reputation among his fellow comics as a comedian's comedian who mixed craftsman's attention to timing with a penchant for inventive, if sometimes intentionally obscure, humor. Nevertheless, he earned enough renown to be invited to join the first Saturday Night Live cast assembled after the producer Lorne Michaels and all the previous cast members and writers had left in the fall of 1980. But Mr. Goffrey's newfound visibility soon brought him more work including appearances on MTV, guest spots on sitcoms like The Cosby Show, and small but noteworthy roles in Beverly Hills Cop 2, Problem Child, Look Who's Talking 2, and other movies. He didn't leave stand-up, and as the 1980s progressed, he perfected his stage persona as dyspeptic, unlikable comedian willing to shock all and not look back, a stance that often got him in trouble. So, yeah. I wanted to take a moment to recognize one of the greats in stand-up. Did you, were you guys influenced or did you like Gilbert or if you didn't, I don't know. I just remember, you know, being young and I remember seeing him at a Cosby show. I remember seeing him. I remember thinking that voice is really intense. I remember thinking to myself, is that how he normally is? Because if it's not, that's got to be exhausting to sustain. He's not like that normally. But yeah, I just remember thinking he was so authentically just committed to his character. I just thought, I found it amazing. Yeah. Pat? I didn't know enough about him. I'm ambivalent about him. I knew of him. Uh, I can't honestly say that I've ever seen him do a set. So I knew that he was a a stand-up. I just never uh, actually listened to any of his stand-up comedy. I I felt his, uh, he had a very unique voice and, um, you know, that's that, that's the thing that you always remember about him. Uh, I will remember about him. Uh, that That's the thing that he, he stood apart from everybody else. I'm with Pat. <laughs> You're like, this is, I'm with Pat. I have no experience. I will say this. This is the, the most interesting um, thing about him. I always I always get sad when comedians I get sad when anyone passes. But when comedians pass, there's something just extra sad um it is also like the, the watching him maintain comedy even while he was going through such a difficult time i would watch them help him on stage you know the man lived his craft all the way to the end he loved what he did no matter what i i always respected that they, I would see him get on stage. I would worry so much about him getting off the stage. They would help him. And I'm like, it's just, you know, a detriment to someone who's just to the very end. They love what they're That's doing. That's actually a blessed life. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a blessed yeah. life. That's right. Absolutely. I don't want to go right to abortion, but uh, <laughs> that sounds kind of hey. It is what hey. it is. Um, it is what it is. Well, actually, yeah, I I mean, I will say this and then we'll get out. For many U.S. medical students and residents who want to learn about abortions, options are scarce and new restrictions are piling up within the past year. Bills 
or laws seeking to limit abortion education have been proposed or enacted in at least eight states. The changes are coming from abortion opponents emboldened by new limits on the procedure itself, as well as pending Supreme Court decision that could upend the landmark Roe versus Wade decision legalizing abortion. U.S. physician education typically includes four years of medical school where students learn the basics of general medicine and hands-on patient care. They graduate with a medical degree that officially makes them doctors. Most then spend at least three years in residency programs where they receive intense on-the-job training and specialty skills. U.S. medical schools require students to complete a clerkship in obstetrics and gynecology, but there is no mandate that it include abortion education. It is so scary. You know, we see abortion being repealed everywhere. I don't know what state it was most recent in, but when they were talking about not even in cases of of ectopic pregnancies. And I've had two friends that have had ectopic pregnancies. You will die. You will die. The child, that pregnancy is not viable. Like you're not going to be able to go through nine months and deliver a baby through an ectopic pregnancy. So the idea that they're just even punishing, letting a woman die because she got, it just, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. And these are the same people that five years ago, when they were like sitting before Congress, they didn't even know how birth control worked. Like they didn't even, I'll never forget when they were asking one Senator about birth control pills, they were like, well, you know, that just, uh, that just shuts it down. You know, that just stops it. And it's like, no, birth control pills can also help the, 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 it keeps the egg from attaching to the wall. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't even know. So like fertilization has actually happened, but the egg won't even attach to the wall. So that in itself is a form you can say of abortion. They didn't even know that. They don't know how birth control work. They don't know how anything works. And it just irritates the shit out of me that these people just, they just have their hands up our pussies and it pisses me to fuck off. And I just feel like it's it's murder and it's disgusting. It's control and it's some handmade. And if you're if shit. you're limiting That's um, the the education of abortion, the understanding of abortion, then you you're you're also opening the door for more situations where, uh, say, a car accident, and you will have to uh, abort the child, and you don't have any idea how to do that, and so you could lose the child and the mother. Um, so situations like that, it's just like you're, you're, you're be, they're becoming even more incompetent because you got to understand how that, that, that whole system works. And, uh, if need be like, so, so say if your Alabama, uh, doctor was ra- you know, got his residency and all of that in Alabama, but now he went to a New York hospital, uh, with, with no education with that and maybe have a, a woman come in while he's on the night shift. I, I don't, I just, I think that is wrong headed in so many things, but I said, we're so, we are so handmade tail right now and everything. And it's, how did we get here? They was telling you, they would, they've been telling you since 2008, they told you again in 2016 and you, you guys ain't, nobody was listening. Nobody took it for what it really is. They don't care about anything but money. And uh, when it comes to women's rights, they want to have more white babies. And the only way to do that is like stop, uh, stop abortion, stop um, uh, birth control. Pretty soon, if you stop an abortion, you can put us into uh, birth control, too. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And they want to reserve jobs, keep the women out Absolutely. of the workforce, so, even white women. They want these jobs for these white men. They want white men to be unfettered to move through the world without any obstacles from dealing with people of color. And the number one, That's what uh, the number one thing to stop a woman's uh, progression in her career is pregnancy. You get you, they get out of the workforce because. Uh, for one, they tend to have not as, as much support. And uh, secondly, a lot of women like to be mothers. So that that's, that always slowed down their trajectory. That's uh, And so if men are making it more difficult for women to choose whether they want to be parents or not, there are going to be a lot less competition in the workplace. And don't even worry about black people. Uh, yeah, I ain't getting that job. No way. So I'm going to move on to this article that um, Christina Greer, Professor Christina Greer sent me for us to talk about, which I always love. Christina Greer, bad and bougie white author. I, I don't know how to say this. Is it Whip? I heard about this. Is it Whip and Stock Publishers confirmed today that it has initiated the removal and ceased distribution of Jennifer M. Buck's book, Bad and Bougie, toward a trap feminist theology after days of criticism directed at the book. The book, according to its back, cover description engages with the overlap of black experience, hip hop music, ethics, and feminism to focus on a subsection known as trap feminism and construct a trap feminist theology. Buck, who is white, received criticism and questioning online, asking how she is qualified to write a book on the black experience. Many black women authors, academics, theologians, shared their perspective on Twitter, saying that Buck, as a white woman, did not have the ability to write a theology that comes from black women's experience. I mean, what the fuck? So I had to do some research about the company, and it sounds like they really did not do their homework because it seems like they started with, um, they said they put out a quote, our critics are right, we should have seen numerous red flags, including but not limited to the inappropriateness of white theologian writing about the experience of black women. The issue of cultural appropriation is pervasive from cover to content. The lack of black endorsers and the apparent lack of relationship with black scholars, especially those who originated the trap feminist discourse. We are deeply sorry to have published a book that has betrayed the trust of our authors and readers that has damaged our ability to support work that we both value and believe is vitally important to the church and the world at this time, especially the work of womenists and black feminists. What the hell happened? It sounds like they didn't know because they're a white company. Yeah, it's Go just ahead. that whole thing all, all all over again. It's just like it's always that idea that white people know us just by the mere fact they saw us somewhere as you know, uh, they can write for us. They can write for our stories. They that's why we had good times, because in all white writers, all Jewish writers or some some oddness like that, they think they can write our stories and write for us without having any experience in, 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 uh, in our lives or in our world. And I just feel like that's the arrogance that they've had and continue to have. And uh, I think black writers, that the, the, the black person is, is, 
in, in this time where we're in, it was a really great time in terms of like some of the the writings that come out, like the Atlanta, the um, uh, Ray. the Insecure. Mm-hmm. Yes, those because they feel so authentic to the story because these are people that that know the black story because they're experiencing it. And it's like, you're going to write a story about uh, us without being us, without having experienced what we go through and, and, and interpret it in, in your own eyes. Right now, we, we, they misinterpret so many things that, um, that we'll tell them like, oh, this, this was a, a sly, slick remark that someone made. Well, maybe it didn't, maybe it wasn't, you know, they, they yeah. glass, gaslight us in so many ways. So how are you going to even write? Ah, it's exhausting. They're exhausting. Ah. Yeah. It's just wild to me that they, this, that this book got that far. Like this got, like, cause you know, every, it has to go through several levels to like get this far. It's like, what well, no one saw this. Well, Oregon. No one questioned it. You remember that uh, racist, um, racist Super Bowl commercial with the Asian woman, and then every everyone, everybody saw it. Everybody lost their shit about it, and it got to the, it got to print, it got to the Super Bowl. It's it's so many. It doesn't matter if it's all white people in that room. It's going to make it. To, that's why. Why were we talking about representation matters? If there's only white people in that room, if only a lot of white men in that room saying yes, 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 or white. Women saying yes, 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 yes to those things because other questions don't come up if you don't have any representation uh, in those rooms. It's the same thing with the H and M and the little boy and the monkey. Oh yeah, but me if but for me, I feel like uh, apology is not enough. So this happened. Make it right. Publish ten black authors. Like enough. Don't tell me sorry if you keep cheating on me, Ray Ray. Do something that's going to help the community. Be sorry for real. Yeah. That's so many right. people think that sorry just solves everything. Like sorry with action. That's the real apology. To me, there is no sorry unless there's action coupled with it. We can hold them to that, but I think we shouldn't hold our breath really. I mean, I think where I was where I was going with Viola Davis and what she says in this article is that re- realizing the utopia is not in the hands of perennial white male gatekeepers who hold most of the power to bring projects to fruition, but of artists of color like herself who are creating material for material for themselves and people who look like them. Artists such as Issa Rae, Michaela Coel, Octavia Spencer, Taraji P. Henson, Kerry Washington, Regina King, Gabrielle Union, they are waking up to ownership. They're waking up to agency and autonomy. All of us now are saying, no, we're not waiting. We're going to be the change we want to see. I just, it's the same thing, but I just said we have to not only be outraged, but there has to be some reparation for the infraction. Because as long as you long as you make this about money, then it won't happen as much because what happens is we as a community are rising. But as long as we're just taking an apology and, you know, taking the scarf off of Aunt Mama, as long as we're not trying to get some dough. <laughs> I just think it was time to take the scarf off. Can't she evolve? <laughs> they, did. they gave her a blowout. 
and some pearls. Uh, Remember they did that. She had a perm. <laughs> but, what about, One year. but what about their money? Right. What about the money? That's right. Like, what about the money? Like, you still don't have reparations. We still don't have reparations. But we had six hundred extra dollars to give everybody that would refuse to work any other time during this pandemic an extra six hundred dollars so they can go buy fuckery. Like, that's what was happening. So where's the dough? Like my my whole mentality is always when I see this stuff is I'm like, OK, so how do we get paid from it? How do we get paid from it? That's right. Like enough. Enough. If she got produced, if she got produced, then why can't you do 10? Real black women. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of black authors that self-publishing, doing e-books and all kinds of stuff. Give them a deal. That's, because a, lot, the that's, a, lot of, that's a lot of braids in the boardroom. That is. That's a lot of braids. That's a lot of braids. That's a lot of locks. That's a lot of fingerways. That's a lot of party. Right. Like, it's a lot of cocoa butter. butter. It's a lot of cocoa yeah, butter. But the thing is, I agree with you, Anika, because... A lot of scarves. Yes. Because the thing is, they are going to publish 10 authors. So why not? You know what I mean? Like, there's going to be 10 that are published. So why can't they be Black? It's not like they're going 10 out of their way. Just make the next 10. Culture appropriation was so they can't believe. Yeah, but one of okay to your point. One to your point. If they they give them ten, one of their their ten. Um, what's that girl's name? Uh, that nobody liked the black girl. Uh, Candace Owens. Candace. Yeah, one of their ten. Candace Owens. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it could exactly. Uh. You got your black. You got your black because they uh. like to do that to us too. We had Christina Anthony on the podcast. She's so funny. She's a great actress, and she said this: just because they they're black, don't mean they use the same comb. And I was like, ooh. Kinfolk and kin, kinfolk. Yep. All skinfolk and yeah, kinfolk. Skin, all skinfolk and kinfolk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got to make sure. We got to make sure. All right. Well, this was a really excellent conversation. I mean, I could just sit back and listen to you all. I, I don't have to talk, which is great because, you know, I, I think you're all so brilliant. And it's a good group. It was a smart group of intelligent and this is how i always see the podcast by the way is all black women having this conversation it's just you're all so busy which is good i mean if i wanted to shine a light something positive to come out of this uh conversation all of you are very talented and you're all doing great wonderful things so it gives me hope it really does um and I think because we are starting to be represented in the rooms and people are um, listening to our stories and telling it right, people are investing in us, are opening their eyes to, yes, this could be a good investment. So there is some some hope at the end of that tunnel. Oh, go ahead, Onika. Were you about to say? Uh, uh, there was a New York uh, Post article that said how um, Black women should really start considering marrying white men. So maybe <laughs> well, that's a whole episode right there, girl. That's and they were talking episode. about Kamala and they was talking about Katanji and they were like, basically, uh, that black girl magic sprinkle with a little bit of white kingdom uh, works. It, it's you should listen to read the article. It's it's horrible. It's just horrible. <laughs> well, you said the post. You said the post. I was like, it's all oh, it the post. Horrible. Yeah, no, the post. The post is like, not real. Post had Michelle Malkin. I mean, the post had Michelle Malkin and she's you know, it's about as bad as they get. But it's also the proximity. It's like you, you're having hard, Harvard uh, educated folk and it's going to be less and less of us in, on that level. So they're 
their marrying choices become very, very small. And, and yeah. if you are looking for somebody just black, so I don't, I don't, I don't hate on them for finding love. And uh, even I if it was, them. you know, you got to get your joy where you can get it. You can, and this world is so short. And so somebody that supports you because you can't tell me any of those ladies are less of themselves because they married uh, a white person. And make them work for you. Hey. No, no, oh, no. I think they might oh, hey. work for them because no, they, I'm they, not they, hating on it. No, I know. I'm just saying. No, you, you married into, you also married into a structure where uh, you are, you married into all their friends, all their associations, all their network, all their connections. So, that's also a good thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, we always go out on uh, what you're doing next. Holly, tell our listeners where they can find you. Well, you can find me on Instagram, Holly Harper five. It's number five. And also on Twitter is Holly Harper five. And I'm just excited for the black women comedy left fest coming up this Juneteenth weekend. I know Omega, you're going to be in that fest too. It's really Good exciting. Time. It's my third one. Um, and I have a show, I have a comedy nerd show. That's going to be in the festival. I'm really excited. And um, with friends like us, you will always have some very good conversation. Yes. Onika? Okay, yeah. So what I have coming up is I'm doing my comedy album through the Black Women in Comedy Festival on June 16th at the Stand Comedy Club. The uh, shows are 8 and 10 p.m. So I'm super excited about that. I'm, I'm working really hard to try to get the visuals and all that stuff situated. And um, so I got to see you guys there. And um, my Instagram is Onika Comedy. Twitter, same thing. Uh TikTok, same thing. And with friends like us, you will not be ill-informed. Yes. Thank you. Pat? I am uh, right now in the hunt for a white woman that has... (laughs) (laughs) But also that she looks black in the summer anyway. Uh, (laughs) An ambiguous white woman that's what i'm looking for uh that has a lot of uh networks but i also have uh i've been working on um another album it's not just gonna be an album it's a special i want material to be special worthy it's just not album worthy so i've been working toward that end and uh also i'm on the road with tracy morgan which is uh, a blessing to me because i get opportunity to work out my material and uh i can actually put a lot of work into the, the writing element. It gives me a lot of time and leisure to do that. So I feel like I'm really blessed to do that. And um, I'm working on just getting out. I've been a comic for over 20 odd years. And what I found is I have so much material that I've done and nobody has ever seen me because I was in, in Georgia. I was in Atlanta doing this stuff, making my way and uh, being really good. And nobody has ever seen it. So I'm putting out those uh clips for myself on instagram and also on on youtube so please check those out um you know what people don't realize this i've been funny for a long time oh my god i've been ridiculously hilariously funny for a long time so please uh check that out uh because i got receipts uh so check me out on instagram and on my youtube it's the same pat brown show pat brown show and with friends like us you don't have to wear a scarf if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Marina Franklin here. You know what to do. Go to my website, marinafranklin.com, and you can find out where I'm performing next. I may, I may 
I'll mention it here, be going on the road with Hannah Gatsby to do oh, some I shows. Love Hannah. Yeah, I met with her. I have her book. She gave me her book. I met with her for lunch. I absolutely adore her. You know, she is funny, by the she's way. She's autistic. I didn't realize that. Yeah, she's on. And she's very funny. A lot of people don't know that when she did that special, she had been doing it as a one woman show. Netflix marketed it as a special, but she had been doing it as a one woman show. But she had been a comedian for years and earned the right to do whatever she wanted at that point. That's just how I. That show was art. That yeah. show was artistry. Yeah. Was pure. But the only reason I said that she's autistic, she just she found out as an adult. And, I, and yeah. that's a, a, a thing that's happening right now. A lot of women have been diagnosed later on in their adulthood while men have been diagnosed a lot earlier because uh, they, just like everything else, we uh, present differently. So yeah, so I'm excited to read her book. You know, she offered it to me and it was just a nice thing and um, obviously there... She forgot to mute herself. (laughs) (laughs) There are other shows you can go to. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com And with friends like us, you can bring together black women and we will get it right. The conversation will be right. The topics will be right. The joy will be right. Thank you so much, ladies. It was a pleasure having you here. Check Check us out. out.